Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbro, and glad you're back with us again this week for another great episode. I'm going to be uh, joined by uh, Steve Denicole later uh, in a conversation, and uh, he's going to tell us all about his homestead and what he's doing there. It's a real good, uh, real good conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, before we get into that, though, I hope you're uh, really enjoying your uh, your fall weather this year, and we kind of wrap up the garden and. Uh, you know the harvest is pretty much over and we're, we're, we're picking things here and there but uh you know there's just a little seems to be a little bit more time to just enjoy the season and get out and do a few things and i know we've been uh you know visiting the apple orchards and we've been uh, like going to some state parks and just checking out the the fall colors and we have some cool state parks especially down south from us here and and we got, they got some nice overlook scenery and things like that along the roadways and you can pull over and kind of just check out the wilderness and the, and the fall colors and we we love that you know we just love to enjoy nature and see see all the the things there are to see and uh you know i just hope you're doing that as well i hope you're getting out you're enjoying the weather you're enjoying the the scenery and uh you know there's still things to do around the homestead we're still preparing for winter and we're still you know doing some some preserving and getting things ready and putting some things up for the winter but you know, it, it's just a great time of the year. I love the hunting seasons. I, I, I love nature. I love the cooler weather. And I hope you're enjoying it also. So get out there and do that if you haven't done that yet. Been doing a lot of things around here as far as uh, still preserving, like I said. But, you know, I tried something the other day. I tried to take some apple cider and make some jelly. And I, I'm telling you this because I just want you to know that even after you've done this for a while, there's going to be failures and you're going to have things that you just don't understand. And I'm trying to make some jelly out of some apple cider and I got this weird separation in this apple cider while I was trying to, to do it. And it just didn't come out right. I was trying to do it without pectin. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've never done that, but I'd read a, a, you know, a fair bit about it. And if you cook it down enough, it's supposed to gel up, you know, cause of the natural pectin that's in, that's in apples. And, I don't know. I, I did, and it cooked it down quite a ways, like I was supposed to, and it just got this weird. It never really gelled up properly, and it got this weird separation in it. And I just like, wow, what happened there? But you know, it just goes to show. You know, you can do this stuff, and you're still going to have failures. And you know, don't feel bad about that. You just move on to the next thing. You try to figure it out and do it right the next time. And uh, I, I think maybe I overcooked it or cooked it too long. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but. 
uh, you know, we're going to have these things that just work out sometimes and sometimes they don't. And uh, I think in my conversation with Steve, we talk about that a little bit that, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, things you try and you fail at and you try to get better at them and it's all a learning process. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Steve. And, uh, you know, one thing I think you're really going to get out of this conversation is that, you know, him, him and his wife, they work full-time jobs while they're operating their homestead and it's 133 acres. And, you know, he's a busy guy. He, he, him and his wife are busy people and yet they still find time to homestead. So let's just head on over to that conversation uh, with Steve. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Steve Denical. Steve is homesteading in British Columbia, Canada, and uh, he's a real active uh, uh, member of our uh, Homestead Front Porch Facebook group. He's always eager to help others with answers or give advice. And uh, with that, Steve, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. I'm glad to have you. Uh, uh, would you want to just take a couple minutes and just uh, you know, just Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and how you got started down the uh, the old homesteading path. Yeah, I don't know if I could point to a specific moment how I got started homesteading. It just kind of happened so gradually. Met, you know, met people that were doing interesting things and learned more about where the food in the grocery store was coming from. And the more I learned, the more turned off I got from it. And one day I got chickens and then started the garden and it just kind of went from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty common story. People just get a little bit freaked out about the food situation, for sure, and it gets them down that path, which glad to see people waking up to that. Oh, and it, it definitely convinces you when you grow your own food, and it just tastes so much better. Yeah, it tastes different, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. In some ways. Like, you know it's healthier, like, but yeah. it tastes more real. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I, the thing I noticed is tomatoes. I can't even believe the difference in a store-bought tomato and a homegrown tomato. I mean, I don't know. You probably don't grow a lot of tomatoes up, up your way, but... Uh, well, we tried. We, we picked a lot of green ones this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, years and years ago, I did a trip to Australia, and uh, I just did, you know, some random work there, and some of that was farm work. Mm-hmm. And I picked tomatoes, and we would just pick all the green ones, and the red ones, you could bring them home if you want, but... There were so many red ones, you ended up just throwing half of them on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then the green ones, they would just, uh, you know, they would gas them with a the plant enzyme yeah. to turn them red for the grocery store. But if they pick them red, they just would get squished in all the machinery. Right, right. Yeah. Well, so you've been to Australia, huh? Had a little path. But yeah, I did a lot way. of traveling back before I got uh, back before I got all settled down. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about your uh, homestead and the kind of things you're doing there. Well, my wife and I moved in here probably about a year and a half ago. Um, We brought our chickens with us, and our plan was to just work on the house. And, you know, this place was a little neglected when we moved in. We were just going to get it cleaned up, get the house ready to live in and all that. Um, Yeah, it's uh, 133 acres. It's on the river. Mm. And... Yeah, it's got a hundred, about a hundred acres of hayfields, which was pretty amazing for when we moved in. Mm-hmm. Um, we just didn't really have to do much. Someone that we met in the neighborhood came and cut our hay. He took half, we got half, and you know, through very little input of our own, we had something we could sell that uh, provided us a bit of a bonus income. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple pastures near the house. Um, we let some of the neighbors put their horses in and one of the neighbors kind of ran out of money and 
ended up giving us one of his steers instead of paying us to have his horses in his pasture. Mm -hmm. So we ended up kind of getting into cattle that way, bought a couple more over the winter. So we got three heifers and a steer and next year we're going to have calves. So that's a little ahead of schedule. (laughs) Yeah. We ended up buying some sheep last year and, uh, just kind of on a whim. Um, I guess I've got a few, uh, what not to do's on the homestead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, they showed us where the holes in our fences were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just not quite as bad as goats, but close, huh? <laughs> no, no. We're we're scared to get goats, actually. Yeah, yeah. They will get out. <laughs> They'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were pretty lucky when the sheep got out because we thought we'd lost them, and then it turned out they just went into the barn. So, <laughs> so that's that's the livestock you're doing, just sheep and and, and cattle. Yeah, and chickens. Oh, and chickens. Yeah. This year we we tried some meat birds and some turkeys. Um, we've probably got about on average 35 to 40 laying chickens Mm -hmm. and some of them go broody all the time. So we end up hatching a lot of chicks. I think this year we, we probably hatched about 150 chicks and it works great for us because it replaces the layers that we have and we end up selling a lot and Mm -hmm. it's a bit more work, but you make a bit more money off it than you would for eggs Mm -hmm. and and it's just kind of exciting to be having little chicks hatch and we've got so many mixed breeds. You just, you kind of see them grow up into all these different colors. It's, it's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so are you selling your eggs at like what, markets or uh, I mean, how do you? Uh, no, just, just through people my wife knows. She, okay. she was cutting hair for a while. So that really, like I've lived here for maybe in the, in the community for three or four years now. Mm-hmm. And within a month of her being here, she knew more people than I did. <laughs> she's cutting hair and now she's a coach of uh, the figure skating club. So she's just right in with the community and we, you know, demand exceeds supply when it comes to anything we grow here. Mm-hmm. But we're at a pretty small scale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, same thing with your, uh, I mean, what do you, the sheep or is that a reason those for meat or in the, in the cattle as well? Or? Yeah. Yeah. They're hair sheep. So, uh, okay. their wool is pretty useless. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but, uh, we just started with three bred sheep last year and they lambed over the winter. It wasn't quite the ideal time of lambing. We had to stick around for Christmas and new years and all that. Cause, uh, I think our first lamb was born December 23rd. So we didn't get to go down to see our family, but it was a pretty exciting time anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we ended up having five lambs. Um, one, unfortunately, got bloat. It was a bottle-fed one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that's something we need to learn a little bit more about because uh, they are pretty susceptible for bloat between three and four weeks once mm-hmm. they start transitioning from milk to hay. but. You know, it's part of the learning curve. Oh yeah, it's all it's all a learning process, it was, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty sad that uh, that a lamb had to die while we learn, but uh, yeah. the rest of them are doing amazing. And yeah, we're we've got nine years now, so next year we're going to have enough lamb that we'll be able to sell some. Okay. Yeah. And your plan just selling to people you know on those as well, or? I think so. The, the people are. We, I think we know enough people that like lamb and. Mm-hmm. If not, Carly will probably just put an ad up at the rink or we'll just put an ad up online. Yeah. I don't expect we'll have a 
I don't expect we'll be overwhelmed with, with lamb meat in this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like just in the livestock alone, you got enough to keep you busy, but you do quite a bit of gardening as well, right? Yeah, well, the garden, this is our first year with the garden. I had a garden at a previous place I lived at, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this is the first year at the garden. Um, you know, it's kind of your classic story. Potatoes and zucchinis are out of control, and <laughs> we're giving away zucchinis and freezing zucchinis, and I eat a lot of potatoes, but we've got at least two wheelbarrows full of potatoes. So mm-hmm. maybe you'll see me through the winter. Yeah. That's a nice little crop. Tomatoes. We had a lot of green tomatoes. We're, we're up in zone four. So yeah. we could potentially get a hard frost in the start of September. Yeah. So it's a little touch and go with some of these things. Sure. You see a hoop house in your future or anything like that to extend your growing season or. Uh, yeah, we'd like some sort of greenhouse We're mm-hmm. we're probably a few years away from, having the time to build something like that. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely something we talk about all the time. Oh, Because the people that do have greenhouses, then they can grow you know, properly ripened tomatoes and eggplants and, you know, stuff you guys enjoy down south. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would think you definitely would want, want that up there. I mean, extend that growing. I can't even imagine trying to, to glow, grow uh, food in the short seasons that you guys have to grow in. Yeah, some things do really well. Your root vegetables do really well because you can get them planted before your first frost. And those things seem to do a lot better because they got an extra month in the ground. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay, how big is your garden? Oh, I would say it's it's not that big this year. We're going to double it next year. Okay. It's probably maybe 15 feet by 40 feet okay. or so, yeah, yeah. something along those lines. So that's just a good sized garden to start with and, and doubling it next year. That's going to be, it's probably going to feel like twice as much work, right? Yeah. Well, we're kind of at the point where just with the animals we have, we've got enough meat for a year. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we do a better garden, maybe we can have vegetables throughout more of the year and eventually through preserving, be able to, you know, support ourselves with food that we've grown almost the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, but where we've got where we're putting the garden next year, we've got uh, our meat chickens and turkeys in in these dog kennel cages, so that they can peck at the grass and fertilize the ground. And mm-hmm. you know, we move them every once in a while. But uh, we did find the grass where we put our garden this year to be a bit of a hassle to weed. Yeah. So hopefully, round two of the garden is going to be a little better. Yeah, it'll be just like the animals. It'll be a learning curve, and those get better and better each year. For yeah. Sure. And, and you do it. You know, some things you just you have to just try and fail and switch to something else and just keep trying things till you get the, the system that works, right? Mm-hmm. And that process makes you a little more efficient, too, because sure. we do feel a little overwhelmed at times. I think we let our enthusiasm get away from us here and there. Yeah, you've got a lot going on. <laughs> and then on. get a little stressed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we both work full-time, too, so it's, it is a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I've had some chats with you on Facebook a couple times, and it sounds like you're pretty into foraging, like mushroom foraging and things as well. Yeah, it's something I did more before we owned property. Um, yeah, I learned a variety of mushrooms that we can eat, and I work out in the bush, too, so whenever I see a berry I can eat, I, you know, Mm. I have a couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you uh, really learn that? I mean, is it just something you grew up uh, doing or somebody teach you that? or what? Uh, When it came to mushrooms, um, I met someone that 
was into with picking mushrooms, like very experienced, but mm-hmm. he didn't have a car and I wanted to learn. So I gave him a ride out to the mushroom patch and he showed me, you know, a real variety of mushrooms I could pick. Um, I live in a totally different climate now, so I've mm-hmm. been learning the different mushrooms we have here. And uh, I actually learned of a couple that grow basically in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty nice. You can just walk back there, pick a couple mushrooms, and you got a nice little side dish. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's something I've always been a little bit leery about. We have, uh, you know, we have a few kinds around here that are safe to eat. I really only grab a couple kinds, you know, that I'm sure about, and I, I just avoid the others. But I've never really had that. Uh, you know, my my dad showed me, you know, a few things, a couple you could eat, but um, I haven't really had that mentor to kind of take me around and and it's just a little scary to me just to start, you know, picking and eating things you just ain't a hundred percent sure about. <laughs> yeah, it is, and some are safer than others. Like some have dangerous look-alike mushrooms mm-hmm. and some are quite unique looking like the giant puffball mushrooms that grow here and no one showed me any of those but i read maybe 10 different web pages before i tried one and mm-hmm. they all you know were you know reached a consensus and said yeah. that there's Nothing that's the size of a rugby ball that's <laughs> that looks like this. Yeah, we have we have those here too, and the morels, and those are about the only two I'm, I'm I feel. Oh, the morels are good. Yeah, those are about the only ones I feel safe, you know, grabbing and eating. Though the rest of them, I kind of just eh, I think it's what it is, but I'm not 100 percent sure, so I kind of push it off to the side. But I'd like to. That is something I like to to get better at, and and, and run into somebody who could kind of show me the ropes and some different some uh, different fungus to to dig up and eat because that's a I loved I love mushrooms and it's you know it's free food and you get you a nice nature walk out of it while you're doing it and there's really nothing bad about it unless you get the wrong kind. Mm-hmm. And I've read I've read uh, that you can get uh, you can order these logs and mm-hmm. they're already inoculated with the mushroom spores and yeah you just place them somewhere in your property and start to cultivate these things. Yeah, I actually had a guy but, uh, on the on the podcast back when I first started. He was like the fourth podcast I did, and he actually had a farm, uh, a mushroom farm, where he just grew, I think he said something like 100 varieties, and a lot of them in logs, wow. and he was growing them in straw and all kinds of stuff over in Illinois, and, and, and running quite a good business out of it, selling them at market and stuff, you know, because those can go for a pretty penny. Oh, yeah, the the non-grocery store mushrooms, there's a huge variety of what you can get. Mm-hmm. And the price is pretty good. Like when I was picking chanterelle mushrooms, we were selling them for 10 bucks a pound. And yeah. I'd look at some of the markets and see some of the other mushrooms and they were up to like $30 a pound for a few varieties. Wow. Yeah. 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 You could make some money if you know what you're doing there. And if you could, if you had the, it sounds like mm-hmm. you've got plenty of room that you could, you, know, you could do some commercial growing of mushrooms. If you, if you wanted to get into that at some point, you got, you say 133 acres, you said? You got a lot of room to play with yeah, there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's mostly hayfield. We do yeah. almost everything else on probably less than ten acres. Yeah, and uh, you know that we're on a bit of a slope down to the river, and you know down the hill we we walk the dogs down there and we get hay from there. I got my deer down there, and that's that's about it. Everything else is up here by the house. Yeah. Well, how about hunting? I mean, we've. I had a couple of conversations about hunting too. I've seen a picture of a deer you you got. Yeah, it's it was actually my first deer. I, okay, I wasn't successful last year, but this year, just on a whim, I, I listened to your podcast about getting excited about the deer season, and mm-hmm. 
okay, I'm, I'm going to just have a walk down there. And it took me about 20 minutes and, <laughs> and I got my first deer. That's awesome. That's the yeah. way to do it right there. Yeah. I still haven't gotten one. I still haven't even seen one this year, but I haven't been out much either. I've been pretty busy and haven't really had a chance to get out there. But boy, if I could have seen one in the first 20 minutes, I'd have been all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had that experience yeah, too, though. Yeah. It's been a pretty big year for deer around here. I think maybe it's because of the warm winter last year or maybe because... Mm-hmm. We didn't have a chance to get a second cut on our hay. There's a bit more alfalfa for them, but they are all down there all the time. Yeah, yeah. Do you process process that yourself, or did you take it somewhere? Um, no, I, I just skinned it and gutted it, and I brought it to the butcher. Okay. Because I, I, I had to go to work the next day, and oh, yeah. he does an excellent job. doesn't charge that much. So. Yeah, I've been in that boat, too. You get it's too one busy. of those things. <laughs> it takes them a little bit of work and a little bit of effort, and... And uh, yeah, if you just don't have time for it, nothing wrong with that. Taking it somewhere. Do you plan on doing any of your own uh, processing on your livestock, or? Um, I have with our chickens, mm-hmm. and I might have to do a lot more of that in the future. Because right now there is a a lady that processes chickens, but she's getting older. She's she said she's going to either sell her business or shut it down next year. Mm-hmm. And I've heard from other people in the community that she says that every year, but I think she might mean it this year. And if she does, then uh, there's nowhere really for us to get our chickens processed. So then I would definitely have to do it myself and yeah. maybe you have to get only do it for personal consumption. Yeah. Well, if she, uh, she uh, sells her equipment, maybe you can just purchase your, her equipment from her. Yeah. It would kind of depend how big it is. There's a lot of strict yeah. rules around here. Yeah. Like if we, processed it ourselves it could only legally be for personal consumption mm-hmm. so if she's got you know a big industrial plucker i don't know if yeah that's practical for us but uh yeah a little plucker would be great yeah i've seen uh some homemade versions of those too with buckets and uh, you buy the, the little rubber inserts that you know that drill holes and pop them in there and I, i've just seen some different setups that people make some homemade versions of those and uh, doesn't look too difficult yeah, I've always skinned mine, but I would, mm-hmm. you know, if we're going to be processing our own on a regular basis, I'd definitely like to work on something like that. Yeah, sounds like you're going to have uh, plenty of them around, I mean, you, you, with the amount you have. Oh, yeah, between, uh, you know, we did the Cornish crosses this year, but between mm. that and the roosters we get from the layers we hatch, it's probably going to be just under 100 chickens this year. Yeah, that's a lot of work. <laughs> no doubt about that. Mm, Got to be that yourself. That's, that's, yeah, you yeah. might want to have like a, a processing party and invite a few of your closest friends, huh? <laughs> yeah, that might be the way to go. For now, it's just been kind of me doing as many as I can in a day. And, uh-huh. you know, my makes my wife cry when I kill the animals. <laughs> <laughs> She's not big on that, she, huh? She usually hides. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, it is easy to get attached to them, for sure. Oh, it is. like... When when it was time to process or to slaughter the lamb, that was that was kind of a sad moment. Like he was, they're just such friendly creatures. It's just you know you raise them for meat, but it's still sad to see them go. I, yeah, I worry when I when I see people who can kill animals with ease and absolutely no emotion about it at all. You know, it makes me a little nervous. Because I think you I think it sh- you should feel something when when you take the life of an animal, even yeah. hunting, but it's it's less when you're hunting than than when you're raising livestock, but still you should feel something, you know, when you're taking the life of that animal. You should it, there's an appreciation 
for the life of that of that critter you know when you're raising it and 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 you know what you're raising it for and uh yeah i've met people though that it seems like it doesn't i mean i guess after you do it so much you don't show the emotion but it seems to me you should always feel something you know yeah i agree 100 percent well let's talk about plans for your the future of your homestead i mean we talked about a couple things expansions here and there but what are things you thinking about doing or Oh, we go kind of back and forth on our plans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're just uh, deciding what to do, but we're going to have calves in the spring. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I think we'll probably get enough cattle and sheep just to eat up the pasture that we have near the house. Mm -hmm. And we've got plenty of hay to feed them over the winter. So, and they're pretty low maintenance in the summer, at least we mostly just have to fill up their water in the winter. It's a little more work, but it's, it's not too bad because I'm working less. Um, chickens, um, we're definitely going to keep the layers. I do wish that I built the coop bigger because I'd be happy to have twice as many laying chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, and meat birds, we'll probably do again. Turkeys, probably not because they're, uh, they're just not as hardy as the chickens. Really? They just seem to have a lot more dye. The, the poults cost a lot more and mm-hmm. you know, you have them around a lot longer too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more feed too. Yeah. Yeah. Long-term plans though. We want to have bees and um, there's the slope behind the house that I've been clearing some, some fallen trees out of the way and maybe going to mow back some of the weeds and hopefully we can get some better grass growing in there. And on that hill, we could either have, you know, additional pasture for the cattle or possibly goats if we get a good enough fence back there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to need a good fence for goats. I've, I've had experience with goats, and, and yeah, they get out. Have you had goats? <laughs> I was raised with goats. My dad always had, we had goats. Oh, yeah. And they got out every chance they had. And it seems like <laughs> no matter what you did, they'd find a way. And I was uh, a bit funny story. I think I've told it before on the podcast, but I, I you know, we rode the school bus to school and I remember walking out on the front porch one morning and there's a whole, the whole herd of goats is standing on the front porch and I'm trying to get on the school bus and they're trying to get on the school bus with me and, and not, not the kind of thing you want to experience when you're a, you know, a middle schooler. <laughs> it takes a while for the kids to let yeah, that one down. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the story around here from a couple neighbors of, uh, one of the neighbors used to have goats and they often went to the school and the principal called the farmer one day and the response was, they're just trying to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a handful. I mean, they're fun. They're, yeah, I think they're a, they're a fun animal. And, and we milked ours, and we also had some meat goats. And, and, and they were fun animal to raise. I mean, and they weren't hard. They just, uh, they, they're escape artists. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's, maybe they don't escape as much if they have uh, a lot of pasture. But I don't know. You know how these animals are. They just see some green on the other side of the fence and they want it. (laughs) That's the thing, isn't it? It's always greener on the other side, for sure. Uh, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you got some uh, big plans going on there. Uh, I'm interested about the bees. Uh, How does that, uh, do you know somebody around there that's that's raising bees? Well, we had a lead last year. There was uh, an older guy that was looking to get out of it, but Mm -hmm. uh, we called him in the spring and I, th- I think he just loves his bees so much. He, you know, he's in his eighties, but, uh, uh, he wants to keep doing it. So that's, that's great for him. Happy for him. But, sure. uh, we, we were talking to him earlier about, um, buying some of his hives and that, 
but uh, we're busy enough right now. We're happy to push it off for a couple of years. But yeah, he might be a good go-to. I love Honey. Advice too. Yeah. Oh, I know. And he seems like a nice guy, but uh, I don't know if we're quite ready to add anything new at the moment. I would think in that in that climate, it needs to be a little bit of a challenge too. Just the the colder winters and temperature you know this the temperature issues seems like it'd be a challenge i didn't know that that, i mean i know you can obviously have them up there i just i figured there is a challenge with the temperatures yeah i i don't know too much about bees yet we'd we'd kind of i guess do a bunch of research before we got them but uh well you got a guy there's doing a lot of people do them yeah yeah you got got some people around there doing it so yeah you should be able to do it and uh, that'd be good you got the you got the space for it and should be able to uh well i don't know you're growing uh, I don't know. You have clover and things like that around there for them, or yeah, there's uh, there's some clover growing in our pastures in the hay fields, mm-hmm. and we've got a bunch of fruit trees, so they're they're flowering, and there's a bunch of berry bushes down the hill, like Saskatoon berries, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of flowers in the spring. Yeah. What? what I'm okay, you mentioned the fruit trees. Let's talk a little bit about that. You got uh, what kind of fruit trees you growing there? Oh, we planted a whole bunch this spring. We I, I really agreed with that podcast you had a while ago where you're talking about the value of planting perennials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, it's a big investment in time and money the first year, but then you just, over many years, you get to enjoy the harvest. Oh, so yeah. we planted uh, a few varieties of cherry trees, apple trees, plum trees, an apricot tree, a pear tree, and a bunch of blueberries and raspberries and a few other random berries mm-hmm. that I think we got. 15 fruit trees and, you know, a whole row of berry bushes. Oh, yeah, that'll be Plus nice. Plus an asparagus garden, and that'll be good for, yeah. you know, 30 years or so. Yeah. So That's that's the, uh, I mean, for people who work full-time and, you know, don't have a lot of time to invest in, in planting, I mean, you can get a lot of great yields for many, many years off of some trees and bushes and, you know, like you said, even asparagus and things like that, yeah. Yeah, and I, li- I just like being able to walk around the property and, just eat various things off the trees or the bushes. Yeah, yeah it's nice. <laughs> you know, it? no cooking required. It's as good as it's ever going to be. Sure. Take a stroll and have your dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is the way to go. Well, uh, well, I'm curious about uh, if you have any advice for folks that are maybe getting into homesteading or thinking about it or just getting started. Maybe they don't have 130 acres or not even one acre. What What, what would you say to that person? Well, like I said, we use such a small portion of our property. The only difference between having that additional hundred and whatever acres down the hill is that we sell hay instead of buying hay. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, chickens are a great place to start. Um, we've definitely learned a lot with them and enjoyed having them. And I guess the main bit of advice that I would have is Go a bit slower than we did. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's yeah. a little overwhelming at times. And there's some days, like there was one day when the tractor broke down and I was just wondering, what are what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> just totally overwhelmed. And it ended up being quite an easy fix, but it's a bit of a roller coaster when you're learning. You're up and down. And it's It'd be a little less stressful to go a little more slowly than we did. Yeah, I've done a few of these interviews, and I think everybody has has made a comment. Just about everybody has made a comment like that, and just take it slow, do one thing at a time, and uh, you know, just take it easy and relax, and get good at one thing before you move on to the next thing. 
Yeah, it's just so easy to get excited and go buy some sheep and go, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. you know, go get some cattle. And I agree with you on the land thing, too. It just so many people I've talked to, you know, I've done a couple of interviews with people who had big land, you know, a lot of acres. And that is often what they say. We're we're using one acre of it or, you know, two or three acres of it to actually homestead, you know, and there's this extra. They Mm -hmm. have wooded lots or fields or, you know, whatever. But most of their homestead is done in one or two acres a lot of times. So uh, there is I think there's just this uh, major misconception that it takes 100 acres to homestead and uh i boy that's been my goal to try to convince people otherwise i mean it's nice to have and it's a blessing to have it but you don't need it to 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 grow a lot of food and raise a lot of food yeah if we just had one acre we could still do a nice garden Mm -hmm. still probably do enough chickens to have eggs and meat for a year yeah like they don't take up much space and there's other things you could do like rabbits and pigs Mm -hmm. don't take up much space either yeah, a lot you can do with not much room. Yeah, we've enjoyed rabbits raising rabbits. Uh, that's that's a a lot of meat, and you raise rabbits. Uh, you get a lot of easy. Uh, it's easy to raise, and, and and doesn't take a lot of feed, and uh, you can get quite a bit of meat from those. So that's something I've always tried to tell people uh, in you know in a city limits or you know a small acreage that you just you you can produce a lot of meat with with a small area. Yeah, that's actually something we're considering getting into too. Mm-hmm. More, more for the dogs than us because yeah, yeah. we feed them raw food and it's it's kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. And just to raise our own rabbits, like we we have some space for them, we have some hay at least. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Just a matter of time. Yeah, I've I've talked to a couple other people who do that. Just they don't even eat rabbit; they just raise it for dog food and to feed their dogs raw. And and that is a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I got kind of excited when I listened to your podcast about the colony raising. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, I thought you had to have them all in the little cages, and we just decided that sounded like a lot of work. But yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, though, well, maybe I'm, there I'm, is a way for it. I went back to the cages though because uh, um, you do get some disease issues with raising them on the ground. I, I mean, a lot of people do it. And, uh, I mean, I raised a lot of rabbits, especially one summer I did it. I mean, there was just uh, more than I could handle really. And you don't, you can't have a lot of control over them, but, uh, you do get a lot of meat, but there is some, there is more disease issue, uh, because of raising them on the ground for sure. But, uh, yeah. you would probably have less of that in your climate. I would, I would think. Yeah. Winter is good for that kind of mm-hmm. thing. When uh, you've got a long period with some freezing temperatures does kill things off yeah and rabbits love cold weather <laughs> they love it <laughs> heat's what tears them up they love the cold oh yeah well i guess they must do well because we do have a lot of wild rabbits around mm-hmm. yeah yeah well that's great sounds like you got a lot of stuff going on got some 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 plans for the future that you're gonna that you're gonna move slowly on <laughs> and uh we're gonna try <laughs> yeah yeah sounds like you're doing some good things there and 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 uh, you know I I, lo- I love you're in the the, the Facebook group uh, the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group you, you're real active in there I love it that you're always eager to to help folks out and give some good advice and uh, and uh, I I suppose if folks want to get a hold of you they can uh, join up the with the Facebook group there and uh, and contact you in there right Yeah for sure I found you know as we learn your best way to learn is just to talk to people and mm-hmm. people are usually eager to talk and share what they know and help you out. And, you know, we've met some people in the neighborhood and the community that know more than we do. And 
you know, when we've got a problem with our cattle, we just give them a call and they're always, always eager to help us. So any knowledge I can share with someone else, I'm happy to help. Sure. Yeah. And that's why I love about doing these podcasts with, uh, and occasionally having folks on just to talk about their homestead and, and, and things. Cause we're all doing different things and some of us are better at some things than other things. And, you know, we just need to be sounding boards for one another and, and really, uh, get, get the message out there and, and help out each other. And, uh, that's how we're going to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool. You put that group together and brought everyone together and, gave us that place to share our ideas so. it, is, it is a great yeah. group i've been i've been absolutely amazed at just how how good it's worked out and there really is a lot of people in there helping each other and, and giving advice and such and i've been i've been thrilled to see that really have that's exactly what i was wanting to see out of that group yeah and it's, it's good inspiration wise too like when you have a tough day on the homestead you can talk mm-hmm. to people that have been through the same thing or you know have gone through that and came out on the other side okay yeah yeah for sure yeah and 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 you know what there's there, everybody's having some kind of problem on their homestead there's no doubt about that we're all having an issue or there's something we need help with and nobody's got it all figured out in every in every area anyway for sure no i think you need need to live to about a thousand for that to happen <laughs> yeah and something would still mess up i'm sure so <laughs> well yeah. Steve, it's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you go it's been it's been really good talking to you and uh, I'm, I'm sure some some people will uh, give you a shout at the, on the, at the Facebook group there. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on here and just uh, just telling us all the things you're doing and, and being available for that. Yeah, thanks, Harold. It was my pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you in the, in the front porch there. Catch you later. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing that conversation I had with Steve. I know it was a good talk. Uh, we talked about a few things that you know I, I kind of want to give some final thoughts on. First of all, just homesteading when you're busy working a full-time job. Um, it can be done, but it does come with making some sacrifices. You heard you heard Steve early in that interview talk about how they couldn't even go visit family around Christmas time uh, because of some homestead activity. They had some, uh, some sheep uh, giving birth that time of the year. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You have to be there for these things. And, and they had to make some sacrifices. So, yeah, it can be done, but... That's not to say it can be done easily. And and there are sacrifices that have to be made. And, you know, that's part of it if you want to take on this lifestyle. So, I mean, as much as we talk about how it can be done, you also got to go into it knowing that that you will you will make some sacrifices in a homesteading pursuits if you're going to do it in, in a big way and make a real impact in your life, that is. We also talked about the, the burden of, of killing and uh, processing animals that you raise. And um, I read a great article just the other day uh, from Robin Follett, uh, who we had on the podcast just a few days ago, uh, heard about her homestead a couple weeks ago. And uh, she wrote this great article. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And it was about killing a chicken. Uh, it just, what's it like to kill a chicken, is, I think is the name of the article. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it was really good. makes you think about the actual process of, killing an animal that you've raised that you've cared for and what it's like and uh we had a little bit to say about that in the podcast and i think you'll enjoy that article as well so i wanted to point that out um steve also shared his advice for um taking it slow and not letting your enthusiasm make you grow too quickly and possibly overwhelm you and i think that's an important thing to point out i always wanted to kind of share my thoughts on that a little bit and it's true 
Um, I'm one of these guys that's like an all or nothing guy. I mean, it's like I'm I'm full blast, hundred uh, percent into something, or it's hard for me to stay focused on it. And it, it, I'm another one of those people is really hard to just not do way more than what I should be doing. But I do it, and and then I regret it, and I back up a little bit, and then I pick up some more things, and we're in the process of growing some other things right now, and doing some things livestock wise that I haven't been doing, and and. You know, these changes happen, and the smart play is to just take one thing at a time. And we've talked about this, I think, on nearly every episode where I've talked to another homesteader, is that you take on what you can do one thing at a time, and don't let it overwhelm you. And if it starts to get overwhelming, back up a little bit and and get better at the things you're doing, and then step into the new things. So, And I think that's key, especially if you're going to be working a full-time job, and you're going to be trying to do the homesteading thing on the side, it's just so important not to let it overwhelm you and get the best of you. So I think that that's great advice. And I think uh, Steve would be happy to to talk to anybody. Uh, He told me he would uh, be happy to talk to anybody who wanted to come into the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group and have a chat with him. If you want to join the Homestead Front Porch, uh, just go to Facebook and uh, do a search for Homestead Front Porch Facebook group and You'll find us there. You can just ask to join, and we'll get you in there. Or you can just go to the main page of smalltownhomestead.com and uh, also see a link at the bottom of the page there. Also in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 43, uh, smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 43 will take you to the show notes, and there'll be a link at the bottom there for all the things we talk about. There'll be some other links there for some resources and, and such. Also, I'll put a link in there for... I had mentioned to Steve about making your own chicken plucker. And uh, there's a great book out there on that and uh, about how to do that. And I put a link to that book. Um, it's not a free book. It's an actual paperback book that you can buy. And it talks about how to make a chicken plucker, a homemade chicken plucker. And um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, plus the article, plus a couple other uh, podcasts I did. The one on the mushrooms, we were talking about uh, growing mushrooms and uh I had had an interview with Mike Hatfield back in the early days of this podcast, and things are done a little different since the early days. But there's a you'll find a link to that podcast episode in there, as well as the episode I did on um, colony raising rabbits. So you can check out both of those episodes and find the links to those in the show notes. And I've been I'm just really happy y'all joined us this week for this episode, and uh, we'll be back with you here. Uh, I'm going to have another midweek episode this week. And then uh, next week as well. So just uh, can't wait to be back with you next time. And until then, happy homesteading and God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow.